I'm Harriet Smith and you're listening to the Dietitian Cafe brought to you by New Ultra, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. To celebrate Allied Health Professionals Day, in this big dietetic debate, we're going to be discussing the important question of, do we need dietitians on the front line? I'm delighted to be joined by two registered dietitians, Rebecca Gash and Lisa Ledger. Rebecca has been working as an NHS dietitian for eight years with her specialist area being gastroenterology. More recently, she started to incorporate her skills in primary care and is working towards becoming a first contact practitioner. Her role is currently split between leading on the gastro-surgical services at Countess of Chester Hospital and working in Chester South Primary Care Network, seeing patients in GP practices and developing projects to improve patient care within the primary care network. Lisa is currently a professional lead dietitian in Cornwall, and she works for a primary care network as a strategic manager. She's been a practicing dietitian for 16 years and has been leading a community team for some time. Lisa has worked with Plymouth University and the British Dietetic Association to investigate how dietitians could work within primary care. She completed a study on frailty and malnutrition in primary care, and following this, NHS Improvement funded more work in this area. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the role of dietitians in primary care. We're going to discuss the need for these roles, and we'll also cover the background which led to the creation of these exciting roles. We'll talk to Lisa and Rebecca all about their experiences of working in this area, and we'll hear their top tips for any dietitians listening who may be interested in getting involved. So I hope that you find this a really interesting episode. Without further ado, it's a real pleasure to welcome you both, Rebecca and Lisa, to the Dietitian Cafe. Thank you for joining us today. No problem. Thank you. So let's dive on into my first question. And I'd love you both to just share um, a bit of background as to your dietetic journey and how you've come to working in primary care. Perhaps, Lisa, we can begin with yourself. Um, Okay, thank you, Harriet. Um, So I started as what was called a basic grade um, back in 2005. So um, that was in Cornwall. Um, I then moved to the north um, after doing a bit of travel and I worked there for many years. Um, It was really um, good to be up north and and especially a a massive contrast to Cornwall. Um, I focused a lot on um, the community. I did kind of a very um, brief couple years in acute and then found that my passion was for community. Um, So I did that for a really long time and that included home mental feeding for most of my career. I then became professional lead um, as I moved back down to Cornwall um, and I got that as a comment last year and I absolutely love it. My primary care role came about because Plymouth University approached us about the research opportunity that was funded by the BDA and I thought it was really important that we explore that. Thank you for sharing that, Lisa, and we will definitely explore that in more detail later on in the episode. I just want to head over to you, Rebecca, to hear a bit more about what attracted to you as a job in primary care. Yep. So um, as as you said, Harriet, I've been practicing as an NHS dietitian for about eight years. So completed my undergraduate at Chester University in 2013. Um, My first role as a dietitian was an acute rotational post at Royal Lancaster Infirmary. Um, And then I moved into my first largely community based post in back in Chester in 2016. Um, This post was a lot of kind of service development. um, But one of the main projects I was involved in was setting up the IBS service, which then led to the post becoming um, 
uh, pure gastroenterology post, which was great. I then went on to do the non-medical prescribing course in 2019, which evolved my post further into gastro clinical lead for the Countess of Chester. Um, and then over the past year and a half through the pandemic, that evolved further into gastrosurgical clinical lead um, for the hospital. So involved a bit more acute work there. Um, in April of this year, then a job in the primary care network presented itself. And um, so I put myself forward for that. So currently my role is split between leading on the gastrosurgical services, as you've mentioned, and also working in the primary care network. So just before we we dive into the um, the nitty gritty of this topic, which I know lots of our listeners will be really keen to hear about, can you both talk to me a bit more about what attracted you specifically to a role in primary care? Um, so for me, Harriet, um, I wanted to take my children to Lapland. <laughs> so the additional hours sounded really great to me. Um, but on a professional level, I really wanted to, as I said before, ensure dietetics took the opportunity to explore how we could work within primary care. Thanks very much, Lisa. And what about you, Rebecca? What drew you to this particular job? Yeah, so I, I personally find it uh, quite an exciting area of progression for dietetics, um, which I'm sure we'll touch on um, as the podcast goes on. I think it fits very nicely with the NHS's uh, visions for patient care in the future. Um, personally, I'm quite fortunate my line manager has actually been involved in um, creating some of the roadmaps for dietitians with Health Education England. Um, so I feel like I've got a good understanding of the roles through her and um, and well supported and um, it's similar to what Lisa has says um, I think my passion lies in primary care and I think the last especially the last 18 months have um, really shown me that as well. Thank you very much and I just wanted to provide a bit of background to our listeners before we discuss your roles in more depth. For people listening, can you explain why it's important that we have dietitians in primary care and what's led to these roles being created? And also, what is the NHS additional roles reimbursement scheme that some of us may have heard of? Can you talk to me in a bit more detail, perhaps, about those, please? Uh, yes. So um, in July 2019, money was made available to PCNs um, to recruit additional staff over the next five years. So the idea was to help with the workforce shortage in general practice, um, but also a lot of people recognise the specialist skills that many other AHPs can offer. So there's very specific roles that are classed as R's roles, so A-R-R-S, um, as you said, additional reimbursement um, roles. So things like social prescribing is a really big one amongst primary care now, um, pharmacists, um, health and well-being coaches, physiotherapists, paramedics, physician associates, mental health practitioners, um, OTs and dietitians, um, as you mentioned as well, which were more recently added to the list. So it just means that the doctor surgeries now have um, money that they can spend on those roles in addition to their traditional nurses and GPs. Yeah, and it's great to see that dietitians are finally getting that recognition of the important role we can we can play in primary care. In fact, recently we had a social prescriber come onto the podcast and it was really great to also hear about the role that they play in primary care. Now, Lisa, you mentioned earlier primary care networks or PCNs um, and also lots of people will be familiar with clinical 
commissioning groups, CCGs. Is there a difference between the two? Can you kind of explain what these terms mean in a bit more detail? Yeah, absolutely. So a PCN um, is a primary care network. Um, and it's where general practices um, have joined to create a network from between 30 and 50,000 patients. So the reason for that is because GP practice needs to work together with community, mental health, um, social care, pharmacy, um, hospital and the voluntary sector services. So PCNs are structured so they're small enough to provide localised place-based care, which is where the NHS needs to be going, but they're also large enough to have an impact. So that's kind of why the PCNs are formed. Um, CCGs um, are clinical commissioning groups. Um, They, as the name suggests, they commission most of the hospital and the community NHS services in the local areas for which they're responsible. That involves deciding what the population health needs of that area are. So that will be different depending on the area that the CCG sits across. Um, These structures such as CCGs, they may look differently in the future because there's going to be an introduction of integrated care systems and areas from next year, from 2022. So you might find that you'll hear different terms again as as the year kind of goes through into 2022. And that's just about us continuing to move with the NHS long-term plan and how we can work effectively for that place-based care rather than, again, the traditional acute community route. We need to work in a much more integrated way, as the name suggests. Thanks for giving a very simple um, answer to that, Lisa, because I personally find those um, phrases quite confusing and and very much overlapping. So I think that was a great way that you answered that. Rebecca, I just want to come back to you um, to find out a bit more about what this role as first contact practitioner is all about. Can you tell us a bit about what your role involves? Yeah, certainly. Um, so as Lisa was saying, then obviously dietitians are quite new to these roles. And um, part of that role is dietitians being very new to becoming um, first contact practitioners, hopefully then progressing on to advanced clinical practitioners. So I feel like the, the best way to explain the roles is uh, likening them to other allied health professionals already working in these posts. So I think the most common example is physios working in primary care. So often patients phone up with um, back pain, for example, and instead of seeing their GP, they would go straight to see the physio first service. So dietitians are working towards um, being able to to have that a similar process with um, within their scope of practice. So again, a good example I like to use given my background is patients with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. So we know that dietitians can have excellent outcomes in IBS patients with dietary um, changes. But you know, even if you're working in a well-established um, IBS pathway, these patients still need to have seen a doctor or a consultant first to get that diagnosis. So what the first contact practitioner course hopes to achieve is by is giving the dietitians the skills to actually diagnose patients. So patient could phone up with abdominal pain, change in bowel habit, go, they could go straight to the dietitian who would be able to order all the appropriate tests and do clinical examinations such as uh, like abdominal examinations and then be able to give that diagnosis or refer on to other services. 
Um, and as I mentioned, um, the roadmaps as well earlier with Health Education England. So they're already well established for physios and paramedics. Um, so helping those professions move on, on to that advanced cl clinical practitioner roles. Um, and the one for dietitians will be coming out um, hopefully soon, but towards the end of this year. Very exciting. Um, so what does the training look like? As you mentioned, it's a course that you have to complete. I imagine if you're going to uh, eventually be diagnosing patients, there must be quite extensive training behind that. Yeah, so I, I'm currently involved, uh, enrolled, just started um, the Allied Health Professionals First Contact Practice practice in primary care um, so that's at UCLan um, University but obviously other other places do offer um, similar courses so it's a 40 credit level 7 module um, and this is just focusing on the first contact practitioner part of it so it's it's master's level um, it finishes in February so it's only a few months um, long but it's similar to the non-medical prescribing course and the fact that it's a uh, 40 credits um and again it's mostly with physios and paramedics so i think myself and another dietitian on the course are the first um dietitians doing it at, at uclan anyway um and then there will be additional training if you want to move on to the advanced clinical practitioner but more information on that should be coming out with the roadmap <laughs> Yeah, brilliant. We look forward to seeing that roadmap. And in terms of the um, interactions that you'll have with the MDT once you are working in this um, first contact practitioner role, um, do you have much involvement? You've talked about physios and paramedics a bit. Um, how, what would it practically look like in, in the GP setting, for example? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I guess my day at the moment, it's um, or my days, I should say, because I'm spread over four different GP practices. Um, I do feel like I have quite a, a heavy involvement in the MDT already. And actually working in the practices um, has been really good at kind of strengthening um, relationships with with the GPs that I kind of knew from working in the area, but um, didn't know that that well. So it's really good to be in practice working with them and kind of discussing patients that we need to um but yeah it, there's obviously loads of people working in primary care and we've mentioned some of the um additional roles and um, that it's really opened my eyes doing this this pcn role to how important um and how useful people like social prescribers the mental health um teams are obviously the practice nurses and diabetes specialist nurses you, you know we share a lot of the our patients so although primary care is often looked at more loan working um, it still involves a lot of MDT work. And, and just finally on this note can you talk us a bit uh, in a bit more detail about the sorts of patients that you're typically seeing in this first contact role? Yeah, so um, uh, at the moment, kind of the dietetics in primary care are focusing on four um, areas of dietetics, really. So uh, functional bowel disorders, so IBS, um, diabetes, weight management and nutrition and frailty. So um, when I started my post, I actually left it quite open to the GPs and said, you know, you can refer whoever you want to and I'll, I'll let you know if it's inappropriate. But they, uh, they do tend to be those kind of four um patient groups really but um but yeah it's all it's all very interesting and varied um and we have a, a pediatric dietitian who sees the pediatric referrals as well brilliant and hopefully that will continue to evolve as more of these jobs come about yes as well. yes i'm sure it will 
So Lisa, I just wanted to come on to you to ask you um, your opinion on why it's so important that we have dietitians on the front line and working in primary care. So uh, dietitians can have a big impact on the number of GP and nurse appointments um, or people such as health visitors. Um, So it's extremely important as we know primary care as is secondary care is really, really stretched. So we need to be thinking differently about how we work. Um, So what we can do is we can reduce the number of people requiring secondary care services, the same as primary care services in their traditional format. So an example, and Rebecca's kind of talked about this as well, um, some of the conditions that we could see, but GPs might see babies with conditions like cow's milk protein allergy, reflux, constipation, selective eating. Um, A dietitian can take all of that away from the GP and not just the first appointment. We find that a lot of paediatric um, patients will frequently visit with the same problems again and again. Um, So we can go in and take that fully away. Um, equally, as Rebecca said, someone with IBS, um, we research has shown they might see their GP 10 times uh, without actually getting a resolution, whereas a dietitian can actually take away the whole of that process and lead on that. So it's diet- dietitian-led care. Um, so, yeah, significantly just reduce the burden on the primary and secondary care system. And I imagine with the pandemic and the backlog of patients and the burden that we're seeing on GPs, that's more important now than ever. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, Lisa, just wanted to go back to something you mentioned earlier about um, some of the research you were involved in. This was BDA-funded research that you did with Plymouth University. Could you tell us a bit more about the purpose of the research that you did? Uh, Yes, so um, the purpose of that research was to investigate the role of dietitians within primary care. So there were three studies that were funded by the British Dietetic Association um, and linked through with Plymouth University. So one of those studies was on paediatrics, so how we can help um, with that cohort. Uh, One was on a dietitian as a first contact practitioner, which we know a lot of um, the physiotherapy and paramedic routes have gone down. Um, And the one that I took on was proactively targeting frailty and malnutrition. And it'd be really interesting to hear what your findings were in terms of that targeting of frailty and malnutrition. So we had really great results. So um, we showed that we could reduce GP and nurse time, which is what we really hope to show, and also prevent hospital admissions. So like I say, just all of those things targeted straight away. Um, The study showed nearly a 30% improvement in arm and leg muscle strength, um, which has a huge impact on people staying well at home for longer. So staying mobile in their own home, that prevention of falls um, and even things like hydration will prevent that falls and infection risk. So it was a kind of really multi pronged attack. Um, on prevention of needing um, health services because of um, diet, um, you know, really significant findings. Many patients that I saw, they felt that becoming frail was inevitable as they got older, and it really doesn't need to be. And that's where we're all starting to look at things differently and really letting the elderly population know that it doesn't have to go that way and that we can help them live well at home. That sounds really interesting. Are we able to link to that study in the show notes? Do you know if it's um, freely available, that paper? Yeah, it should be. Plymouth University have done it, so I can give you the links. That would be brilliant. And if anyone listening is interested, then we'll link that to the show notes. So um, 
Lisa, tell us a bit more in terms of the findings of that research. How has it sort of informed and changed practice? Um, so in terms of practice, we're trying to get the results out there to everybody to see, to show um, PCNs, for example, how we can be proactive for them as a PCN. Um, and also with the potential, what will happen with integrated care areas is show that dietitians are really important to be part of those structures and show how we can, like I say, help within the whole care system. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. And great to hear how the BDA have been um, so supportive of your project as well. Rebecca, just want to come back to you and kind of bring this to life in terms of your day to day work in primary care. Can you tell us perhaps about any initiatives that your team have been involved with to improve patient care? I know Lisa's just talked to us about malnutrition and frailty. It doesn't have to necessarily be in that area. But any um, examples that you could share would, would be great to hear. Yeah, so um, so the, the biggest project that we have done um, within the team is probably to, around malnutrition, um, although on a um, smaller scale to the study that Lisa was just talking about. So within the PCNs, just highlighting um, which patients were already prescribed nutritional supplements or who were at risk of malnutrition. Um, and, you know, that was really useful at uh, being able to advise uh, GPs on best practice and again just helping to get our um, dietitian names um, out there. Um, we've also got a number of different um, KPIs we're working towards mostly around um, improving numbers of referrals onto structured diabetes education and um, structured uh, weight management programs as well um, but that's kind of on ongoing data collecting. Great, thank you for sharing that. And can I ask who was sort of involved in that project and, and how long did that particular project take from, from start to finish? Yeah, so the, the malnutrition project was probably only over kind of three or four months. It was, um, you know, quite small scale, really. But, um, you know, in terms of the data that we needed, that was a fine time scale to work to. Um, involved the dietitian and um, people who are able to collect the data within the PCN. So it was really important to link in with all the uh, IT whizzes or, you know, getting in specific data collecting companies even at time. Um at times so uh yeah and also the, having the support from the gps and meds management management within the gp practices were very important as well thank you for sharing that and um obviously if anyone wants to find out a bit more about your particular role rebecca would you be happy um for us to perhaps link to your practice or provide details are you on social media um, I, I'm not on social media, um, I'm, I'm afraid, so I don't really have an answer for that one, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay, well, are there any resources, Lisa, you might recommend if anyone's interested in, in this area or finding out more about roles in primary care? So they could um, contact me. I'm on um, Twitter, so it's uh, Lisa Ledger 7 um, if they want to contact me on Twitter, um, they can also go through you, Harriet, possibly to find out what my email is. Um, and I'm happy to do that. Also, there's contacts with um, Tanya Rumney, who is developing the roadmap, and I'm sure she'd be happy to be contacted. Um, I'm not quite sure what her social media handle would be. Um, but again, we could perhaps release her email to people that were interested um, if we could go through someone else. 
Yeah, definitely. We can put your social media in the show notes, Lisa, and um, I will include an email that people can contact us via if they would like to get in touch with you directly, Lisa. No problem. I'm happy for people to, um, if they wanted to email me as well. But, um, but you know, I think other really good resources, if you are interested in this area, is there's loads of information on the BDA website. Um, there's been a number of webinars um, discussing dietitians in primary care Um Uh, So, yeah, take a look at the BDA website initially, I think. Thank you. Brilliant. And we again, we can link to that in our show notes. So just before we come to the end of this episode, I just wanted to ask you how many of these dietitian roles are there currently in primary care? Do either of you know? So um, the roles are only just emerging now, as Rebecca said. So um, it's up to each PCN how they spend their R's money. So it's very different depending on the area. So Devon are doing pretty well for um, uh, dietitians in that area, which is fantastic. And there are pockets of people um, coming up, but it's not um, something, like I say, it's very much emerging. Most people are looking at, I think Rebecca said before, um, and correct me, Rebecca, um, things like frailty and malnutrition, um, so gastrointestinal, so IBS, um, paediatrics, diabetes and weight management, they tend to be the key themes that are coming out. But like I say, watch this space. I think there's a lot that we can do in primary care. And Lisa, do you think this is very much the future of, of dietetic practice, you know, having more dietitians on the front line? What what do you think the future of the profession looks like in the next 10 years, for example? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really important that we work in integrated way. So we need to be part of the integrated care areas. We need to be working as one whole system. So moving away from the traditional format of acute secondary care services and primary first care services, um, we need to be working as a whole system. So a lot of that care is now going to be place-based where somebody lives and targeting population health. And Rebecca, is it up to dietitians to go and kind of source these jobs and create these jobs themselves in primary care? Because it sounds like you've been very proactive in in going on your course and um, been lucky enough to come across this role. Or do you think that will change in the future? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's definitely an evolving area, so it's definitely going to be changing. Um, I think at the moment, as Lisa said, the um, the PCNs have um, have this money now to to create the roles as such. But it's more about once once you're in the role, how is that going to progress and evolve? And I think that's what I've seen firsthand. Um, once you're in post, it's very important to you know show show the PCNs and show the GPs actually what dietitians can do um, in primary care and it's not about just seeing patients day to day Um, it's about you know the the projects and things that will go along with it to improve patient care overall. Thank you and just before we finish is there anything else that either of you would like to add on this um, big dietetic debate topic of do we need dietitians on the front line? I think for me, um, it's for people to understand that um, PCNs are a whole different structure. Um, So at the moment, it does need people that are quite confident with um, knowing what their own remit would be, knowing what they will take on, what they won't take on, and having the confidence to work within a different MDT. So there is an MDT out there, but it will look differently. It will be social prescribers, GPs, nurses, uh, mental health practitioners. Um, and as that dietitian, 
you would therefore, I would certainly encourage to seek out support from your local trust or from freelance dietitians. So you've got some peer support and also clinical supervision because you're not going to have that dietitian team sat around you like you might do in the acute or the community setting that we're used to. So I think it's really important that people do seek that out. And like I say, people going into these roles are confident because the GPs and nurses don't quite know what we do yet. And therefore, when I was working there, I got a lot of referrals that I had to bounce back and say, actually, no, that isn't within my remit to do because diadetics is so, so diverse. And I would get renal queries. You know, I have to say, you know, I'm not a renal expert, so that isn't for me. I need to pass that on to my secondary care colleagues. So it's having that confident to, um, confidence to pass back anything that you're not an expert in because we can't be an expert in everything. The same as, you know, GPs won't be an expert in everything. Um, I think it's also really important for people to understand that PCNs are different employers to what we're used to within the trusts. Um, So, you know, their HR is different, their policies and procedures are different, even down to their annual leave is different. Um, So it's really important that when you are looking at these roles, you're looking at your whole picture of what you would like from that job. Um, And finally, what I think is really important is for these people going into the roles that they start to set up communities of practice for that support because like I say they are emerging roles we all need to work together at what works what doesn't work Um, and dietitians are very good at working together AHPs are very good at working together so I think it's really important like I say that we keep linked up as we move forward into this new stage of dietetics. Yes that's a great answer Lisa thank you and I did want to ask you about who your sort of professional support network is around you. Um, I'm just wondering are there any BDA specialist groups that have formed in this area or is that something that will hopefully evolve as time goes on Rebecca I'm not sure if you know of any so I have tried to set up some localized ones in my area from the Devon contacts that I have the BDA are coming through with some resources and I think they'll be very quickly following suit with communities of practice if they don't already Um, so yeah we are it's such a fast-paced emerging um, field that we will certainly be there to support everyone but like I say for that individual make sure you're seeking that support don't be there on your own in those roles and and get too isolated it's really important that we um, always have that professional development and that peer support yes and I'm just keen to hear very quickly Rebecca um, how have you built your own sort of professional support network in your role at the moment Yeah, so I think, I don't know if my um, situation is slightly more unique because I'm still employed um, by the hospital trust in my split role. So I'm not completely employed by the PCN, if that makes sense. So I still have my regular um, kind of clinical supervision there. And also um, I know some of the other dietitians working in the local PCNs as well. So we have regular um, catch-ups and kind of peer review sessions um, there. So again, it's just about, it's, it's about networking really. And as Lisa said, really important to make sure that you do have that support out there. Thank you so much for sharing that. So that brings us on nicely to our quick fire round of questions. So my first question to you both is what would you consider to be your greatest achievement? And and that can be either professionally or personally. So Lisa, let's begin with you. Uh, So firstly, my children, uh, then my travels, um, but ultimately proactively um, working within dietetics and giving good relationships with the wider healthcare system. And I did want to ask you, Lisa, did you get to Lapland in the end? 
We did. We did. We had a great time. Thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. Rebecca, what's your answer to that question? Yeah, um, great question. Definitely got me thinking. Um, I would have to say my career in general is my greatest achievement, um, but in, in particular, just seeing how the dietetics profession um, is progressing, especially in recent years. And, um, you, you know, they've been fortunate enough to be involved in those kind of um, early earlier movements of the non-medical prescribing and now the first contact practitioner. So I guess I'll have to say that. And that leads on to my next question. Rebecca, back to you again. Professionally, what are you looking forward to most in the coming year? Yeah, so um, without sounding like a broken record, it will be completing, hopefully, the first contact practitioner role and just seeing how that changes my practice in primary care and then hopefully um, continuing on that pathway um, to an advanced clinical practitioner. But we shall see. Brilliant. Well, good luck with that. And Lisa, what's your answer to that question? Uh, so I will be focusing on staff retention and recruitment because it's been a really hard time for the NHS. Um, and we also need to be getting more dietitians through. So focusing on placements um, and expanding placements in different areas. So, for example, primary care, you know, now we've got these dietitians out there. Let's try and get some students out there and get people through. Um, on the professional lead part of things as well, we need to make sure a dietetics fits with the new ICA structures. So making sure, again, we're first out there like we were with primary care. We're straight in there with what we can offer. That's interesting. We have a lot of student dietitians who listen to the podcast, so I'm sure they'll be interested to hear about potential placements in the future. So finally, this is all about being in the dietitian cafe. And of course, dietitians, we have food in common. So if we were to cast you off to a desert island, uh, Rebecca, I'm going to ask you first, what would you choose your last meal to be? Okay, so I have uh, thought about this question and it sounds very sim simple, but uh, just uh, various amounts of different breads and cheeses would be perfect for me because you can't keep cheese on a desert island and that's definitely something that I would uh, miss. That is very true. Any particular cheese that you're a big fan of? All of them. All, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and Lisa, how about you? Are you a cheese fan? I am a cheese fan um, and when Rebecca said this answer to me earlier I very much thought about the fact that I've chosen the wrong foods um, because it sounds so great but I've gone quite extravagant three-course meal I would have to take um, with me um, so scallops to start because they're just lovely um, beef fillet with seasonal veg and obviously some chips um, and anything chocolate anything chocolate would be great although it would melt but it'd be great mm, that sounds good dark or milk chocolate that is a question or both? Um, milk, I think. Milk. Dark I love chocolate it. is the dietitian answer. Milk is the real <laughs> answer. Oh dear. Well, I love asking people that question. You really get to get a good insight into them, I think, <laughs> on that round. Thank you so much for your time today, both of you. It's been really great hearing about these exciting roles for dietitians, which are emerging in primary care. And a huge thank you to New Outra for making this episode possible. If you do enjoy listening to The Dietitian Cafe, don't forget to hit subscribe and even consider leaving us a review and a five-star rating so that our podcast can reach even more healthcare professionals. That's all for now. And our next episode of Dietitian Cafe will be coming soon. Thank you. Thank you.